what are oh we are I live. see oh we are I see it. oh we're live i see it too now i'm on the other end it's cool you see it just pop up live on facebook so we can all see it at the same time isn't that cool <laughs> and now nobody talks because we are actually live but behind the scenes we were talking for a very long time good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you are well hi i'm nicholas art i am here with some people we we, we don't <laughs> Zach Shahan, Clean Technica. And Kyle Field with Clean Technica. Oh, wow. Look at that. Two of us. Oh, wait, Nicholas, who are you with? I am here. It's really funny because see on my, on my <laughs> screen, which is not the same thing as you, you guys are all on that. Wait, no, that side. That's right, because it's all reverse, right? So you're pretty much on that side. But I don't really know who's uh, there. So there you go. Oh, my gosh. Nicholas is also with Clean Technica, by the way. We, <laughs> we, we are having fun this is i mean honestly this is just like a, an excuse to have fun but uh okay so the first story kyle kyle we we had sort of three versions of it i guess actually we had a steve wrote about it well he had written about it before the news pops and he had to incorporate the news into it because he had, was writing about something else relate very related and then steve uh backer had a great article talking about the long wait for a thirty-five thousand dollar model three and man did that just like you know it was like wow that's a that's spot on you know that's really i'm sure there's how many how many thousands hundreds of thousands of people in that kind of position like man i really want a model three but it's been a long wait and you start to get it's easy to have feelings of bitterness or something creep in or like resentment or like they're just tricking me but when you follow the company closely you know it's like company has to survive <laughs> So it's like the company just had to, had to survive before it could start pumping out $35,000 Model 3s. And so it seems like it just hit this, like, uh, like maybe, we, maybe it just got taken off life support, right? Uh, Kyle, you wrote the piece, the, the, the eventual long piece about the, the final shareholder letter. What is the deal with the Model 3? Yeah, I think the Model 3, you nailed it, is that there are still, I think, 420,000 uh, reservations outstanding, and they've delivered 26,000 or so vehicles. Uh, but the, the big news is that they've hit their production target. Uh, I think they had said they were trying to achieve a production rate of 5,000 Model 3s per week by the end of June. Uh, that's been pushed back a couple times and moved around, but uh, that's been a milestone for them to achieve kind of stability for Model 3. Um, it also ties to profitability. Um, as well as the release of additional options like the performance mode, the dual motor. We also got white interior if you've got performance mode and some other fun things in there. So uh, that's been a milestone for Tesla to achieve. Uh, they believe that sets them up for a profitable third quarter, which kicked off officially yesterday. Um, and then along with that, I think there's a really exciting milestone of, of Tesla hitting the 200,000th vehicle, which starts the clock for the, the end of the, the federal EV tax credit, which... Um, it seems like based on second quarter, uh, production and delivery numbers, when you look at those, which I talked a little bit more about in the article, uh, I think they produced, uh, 53,000, 56,000, something like that vehicles, uh, but they only delivered, uh, just over 40. So there was a big discrepancy of like 12,000 vehicles, which there, there's always going to be a discrepancy between production and deliveries, but that's much larger than we've ever seen in the past. Um, and it's, and it also like you, a lot of people might say it's the last week of the, it wasn't, if they, if they produced 5,000 model threes or 7,000 cars in the last week, that 12,000 number, it goes 
pretty deep into May production. I mean, it still could be because of the just increasing scale. It could it could be that we get used to that we see these kind of big figures more. But there's been so many indicators that Tesla seem to be trying to preserve the tax credit for more buyers. And um, Elon once upon a time noted that they would. Uh, but uh, basically, I mean, it's like it's it's helpful, but it's a little. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's getting close to the wire. And there's actually another article we're going to work on. I'm, I don't know who's going to write it up about a, a push to extend the $2,000 limit because the $2,000, I mean, 2000 vehicle limit is r sort of ridiculous because it penalizes the leaders. Yeah. And it, and it sounds again, like again, Tesla is, is, is just, I mean, it's basically the, uh, the result of their communication strategy, too. At the same time, we have to be out there. We have to be very loud in everybody's face, and that's the current trend and everything. <clears throat> but, of course, that attracts a lot of criticism and, uh, and, and detracts, I mean, you know, rightfully so, detracts away from the important things, which are, okay, the Model 3 is coming out, uh, and it's going to come out in different ways. And, obviously, we're not going to get the most affordable part right now. And, yes, dollar cents is, you know, very normal business strategy 101 kind of thing. So I think we need to really, again, focus on the essential. But back to the tax credit proposal, Kyle, you shared that link. Can you want to speak about it, about it a little more? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's, there's two pieces. So, I mean, Elon Musk, like you mentioned, Zach, uh, he had mentioned back in 2016 in Twitter in response to another user who was saying, are you going to deliver up to 199999 and then hold off on delivering the rest? Um, and Elon just kind of generically commented that they try to maximize customer happiness, even if that means a revenue shortfall um, in, in the previous quarter. So it looks like we're kind of seeing some of that um, as well. Um, as far as the, uh, the new bill, it sounds like a, someone has introduced a bill to basically get rid of that limit, which would allow for basically not penalize or remove the penalty for moving into the space early. So Tesla really, uh, in a lot of ways, defined that category of electric vehicles for for consumers and really raised it up into the public awareness um, and because they've sold so fast and sold so well um, and waited for and, and largely driven uh, the technology that allowed battery pricing to come down uh, they will lose that benefit um, which puts them at a disadvantage um, relative to their peers it's just wild i mean it's like the company that tried the hardest that worked right. the hardest to, pr to to produce consumer demand that's uh, produced the most competitive electric cars. Now all of a sudden it's going to be disadvantaged in the free market because right. it hit the 2000 milestone before others. And the same will go for GM when it hits the milestone before Ford or, yep. or uh, Nissan before uh, Fiat or whatever, you know? So it's just a, it's just like a sort of backward. I mean, it, it probably made sense in some way. I, I don't know how it would make sense back ever but it just doesn't really make sense to penalize the leaders but um it's but so it anti-free market actually it, it it also again it penalizes tesla because they do not they cannot sell in some states obviously you know who's behind that one too so that's a lot of extra work that that's that company has to do so that's something that we really need to take in consideration every time we criticize it obviously but um yeah it's not going to work well in the end we obviously we know that very well and and oems are just delaying the inevitable yeah I agree. I think, I think it would be cool if we moved to a system where it was a, a total number of EVs sold. So when we hit a total of 3 million EVs on the road in the U.S. or 3 million EVs sold, that incentivizes people to move into the market regardless of sales volumes. And that provides a, a fair and equal 
incentive. And if anything, it, it motivates people to try harder sooner. Um, especially now that we're at the point where batteries are affordable, we've demonstrated that if you really invest at the scale needed to produce uh, a mass market vehicle, um, you can deliver, I guess we call an affordable vehicle around $35,000. And uh, yeah, yeah. level. Let's define um, affordable. <laughs> well, well, we have a segue now. Uh, I was going to jump to European EV sales next, but I'm just, I can't hold myself back on Chinese EV sales. And the, the leader there is an affordable, cheap, electric Chinese car, BC, Bake EC series. But the stunning thing, if you look at that chart, it's like this car is just like the Chinese market is humongous. It's like over 50% of the global market. And then this car is just slamming everyone else. It's got almost well, 12,624 deliveries in May. So one month, 12,000 something deliveries. That's, that's like, you know, of course, if the Model 3 had that many, the, the people would be going crazy. But, but it's just, it's like, it's out of this world. It's probably, I would say it's probably going to win the, 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 the year's uh, best-selling electric car title. Um, it won last year, um, and uh, it's just, uh, it must be just high, crazy competitive. Uh, but the overall market is amazing. You know, the overall market, I see so many sales. The, the next models are 4,500, 3,000, 3,000. And Bake, or Bike, or however you pronounce it, Beijing Auto Company, um, is not even the leader as far as automakers byd is the automaker leader it's got several models in the top top 10 uh but you know because it's this car that just uh, is selling so much because i guess it has enough basic specs and it is highly affordable so it's like a, a very affordable chinese electric car so it's just a it's an amazing market to watch every time you it's hard to connect them. They're very different, you know, but it's hard to, but when you think about, hey, this many sales and this many in Europe or US of, of the top selling models, it's just like, wow, China is seeing a lot of sales. sales, And, and that's overall their, their, their car market is seeing a lot of sales and our economy is growing. Well, plus also, I mean, those Chinese cars are evolving in a very different world. The uh, atmosphere there is very different. The, the politics are extremely different. They're very aggressive towards anything that's, alternative energy and now what we call electric vehicles so on and so forth so it really is growing in a, in a in a really fantastic environment i think what's really exciting is within three years we're going to see these cars out here and that's going to be the real competition so the funny thing is these companies are not going to talk about incentives all that much because they will come in at the price of the incentives anyway so that's going to really uh, change the uh, the the dynamics a lot but considering the uh, trade wars we're having with europe right now i can only imagine what will happen and Kyle, you were in Shenzhen recently to visit BYD in China. Uh, what are your thoughts on this electric car market? Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, China is the global force driving electric car adoption today. Uh, BYD, I mean, when I was on the campus, the campus is massive, uh, but it really felt like Disneyland. Um, I think my mind was already predispositioned to think that because they've got the big sky rail, right? When you enter, you see this giant um, overhead monorail train which is all electric um, it's something that they're working on deploying around the world for um, inner city and intra-city transit uh, which is extremely exciting uh, but i mean on the campus there are 
hardly any internal combustion vehicles. I mean, the vast majority of the vehicles on the campus are uh, plug-in hybrids, which really is their bread and butter right now. They're into this, BYD produces the dual mode vehicle. Um, for the, the passenger vehicles, uh, all these electric buses and trucks around town. Um, and then within the city of Shenzhen, I mean, they've got their fully electric bus fleet, which has a noticeable impact on, on the noise level and the pollution level at the, on the street level. So I think Shenzhen is really leading. Um, it's leading both for China, but also for the world. I mean, they really set that example of how it's possible and what is possible in terms of electric transportation. So I think these numbers we're seeing out of uh, China are extremely exciting. Um, but just to put we, that number in real quick on the EC series, I mean, you'd said 12,000 um, deliveries in May. Uh, Tesla delivered 18,000 Model 3s in the second quarter. So that's an average of 6,000 per month, about half that. But that's obviously not a level number. I mean, it ramps up over the period. So Model 3 yeah. is ramping up to achieve that yeah. type of, of rate. And Tesla sort of... I mean, once upon a time, there was talk of maybe 20000 a month, but, but the sort of high end that they talk about is 10000 a month, you know, as a, as a sort of next big target. Uh, so that's even still under the 12000 a month at this bake, which is a fully electric car. Uh, oh, it's 10000 per week. You're, it's 10000 per uh, week is their target. I'm sorry, per week. Per yeah. week. So, yes, never mind. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, but, but I think again, the Florida heat just got to me again. <laughs> no, but, but, but again, putting it back into perspective, we're talking about a, you know, a, a relatively new company and a company out in uh, China with industrial might that, that, that you know, would, would, would make anybody pale here in comparison. So, yeah. and Bake is the largest, I think Bake is the largest automaker in China. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is overall. I mean, they all like they all kind of fight with each other. But I think, uh, yeah, Baker, BAIC is, is definitely that. But Kyle, I wanted to ask you one question. Since you were there, uh, now that they've done their uh, electric buses, as we've written in the past, they've also tackled the electric taxis. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, in Shenzhen, I mean, you do see a lot of the E6s out there. Uh, that's their the BYD electric taxi. Uh, there, were, there were a ton of those. So it's, a, it's at all levels. They have the, the rail system which is very effective. We took that around town. Uh, the electric buses, which we were able to take around and, and tour around to see the city as well. And, and it just, it's comfortable. They work. I mean, it feels just like a normal part of the city now, uh, but they are much quieter and, and you don't have those, that street level emissions, which typically uh, in, in that type of a market, you'd have a diesel bus. And, and the difference between a diesel bus and all the pollution that you're going to get on the street from, from 16,000 buses zooming around the city and, and all electric buses um, it's night and day. I mean, it, it, the air is noticeably cleaner than a, a city the size of Shenzhen, which is 12 million people. Um, and then the taxis are all over. I mean, it's, there are still, I think, like 6,000 taxis, and they're working on converting the rest um, today. It's probably more than that, probably 10,000 today, because they're just, they move so quickly there uh, to convert those fleets. And then on top of that, we noted um, in, an, in another article that um, we're also seeing a conversion from normal bikes and those uh, small uh, internal combustion scooters to fully electric bikes. And that, that was probably the biggest contrast that I noticed because in, in Southeast Asia, you're used to seeing so many of these and hearing so many of these uh, loud internal combustion scooters zooming around. Like in, in Bali, uh, it, was, it was annoying because it was just like this pack of bees like meow, 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 and they're just everywhere. I love how and also and also they are, they are the worst polluters, the worst offenders, two-stroke engines. They spew, I mean, every, everything that comes out of that tailpipe is absolutely horrendous. Bad, 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 to the bone.
Zach, uh, you're saying? I, yeah, I, I mean, I love how they are tackling just the, the mo- sort of the going in the best hierarchy. I mean, when, when you're in a city with these kind of scooters or buses, I mean, when you walk by a bus, it's just so annoying that it has so much exhaust and it's, uh, people are getting on and off with that exhaust. Kids are walking right by the, the bus all, the, all day long. And then the scooters are just so annoying with the noise. So it's like to, to try to electrify the most annoying or harmful segments first is awesome. Uh, but I mean, they're just electrifying everything and it's, it's awesome. I was just saying that it's so awesome, but at the same time, it's depressing that we're sort of not as going as fast. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's, it's awesome that they're doing it. And yeah, so the target, you know, they, they've reached their hundred percent electric bus target last at the end of last year. And by the end of this year, they have a hundred percent electric taxi target. So, so it should be fully electric, fully electric, electric, electric. Uh, but either way, it's like just amazing. It's awesome. But and I was also going to bring up the the BYD has the just announced that it was going to have this 24 gigawatt hour battery factory completed by the end of next year, right? Yeah, and uh, it it made a claim of like being the biggest battery factory, biggest EV battery factory in the world. We're like, what? You know, but but at the same time, if it is 24 gigawatt hours by the end of next year, maybe that's True, I'm not sure, but uh, in any case, that's a ton of batteries. That's a humongous amount of batteries. And BYD does a mix of fully electric and plug-in hybrids. But I think the nice thing about that, that plug-in hybrid approach that it has right now, is it, it can spread out those batteries to more cars, and more cars can drive maybe 90% of the time on electricity because they, you know, they have a small, smaller battery than a Model 3 or something. But... Uh, enough battery to drive mostly electricity and then gas back. So I just, you know, I really respect and I think it's amazing. You know, BYD has really, it seems like taken some technologies that were uh, sort of there, but not really jumped on. And they just jumped on them with massive manufacturing capability and the, the, the cultural changes and economic changes in China to just do an amazing, amazing job. So it's just, it's great. We have from both sides of the world, this, this approach. And then in the middle, you've got Europe. Um, Nicholas, you want to start us off on the European EV sales since you're the most European of all of us? You know, I'm so glad you asked me that because I don't have the numbers in front of me. Oh, well, okay. The article, I'm opening, open the article. I have the article open here. I will, I will list them. So the sort of at, at the top of the heap, uh, you have the Nissan Leaf and Renault Zoe, and they just sort of have a, a place of their own in the European market. So in May, the Leaf had 2,800 sales and the Zoe 2,500. Uh, and then we've got the BMW i3 and Volkswagen e-Golf and Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid that fill the next uh, three spots comfortably. Uh, and then it's, you know, it gets narrower and narrower. But I, I think it, what's cool about that market to me is you see – you see the leadership of the cars that were developed really, really earnestly to be fully electric, the Nissan Leaf, the Renault Zoe, then BMW i3 were right there at the top. You also just get a sense, it's a different market. You have, uh, you know, Renault is very popular in France, where it's from, so it sees a lot of sales there. The BMW i3 is very popular in Germany and Scandinavia, and the Volkswagen e-Golf as well. Uh, and then the Mitsubishi plug-in, Outlander plug-in hybrid is popular everywhere because it's a it's a relatively affordable uh, SUV with a battery and electric motor. So it's really, a, it's an interesting market just to see how it, how it's a bit different from the U S market. Um, 
prioritizing local brands and also just, uh, I think, better availability in some cases. Yeah, I don't know if Nicholas wants to chime in on that. I guess I'll jump in. Um, I, I think that's exciting as well. I mean, especially Nissan and Renault. I mean, their early leadership, it looked for so long uh, with the first generation Leaf and Zoe that we weren't sure that it was really going to take off and they were going to see the reward from their early early moving in, in that market. And to see them just having solid sales now with the, uh, the new Leaf and the new Zoe with the, uh, the longer range, um, it's, it's really neat to see. Um, I, I think just tying it back to that BYD battery factory that was located in what they called Western China. Um, and it's going to start, I think they're, they opened it with 24 gigawatt hours of capacity. It's going to ramp up to 60 gigawatt hours of capacity uh, by 2020. Uh, so that factory being positioned where it is, to me, that speaks of a move to the West, which would be towards, towards Eastern Europe, um, also towards India. Um, it just, it's a nice central position for them to, to move into new markets uh, versus kind of serving their base uh, where they've got their two existing factories on, on the east coast of China there. So uh, the location of that BYD factor I thought was um, really intelligent and spoke to uh, where BYD might be headed in the future. Uh, we obviously, they do things kind of under the radar until it's ready to go live. Uh, that yeah, factory, very, out of the blue. Very different. They don't get on Twitter and... <laughs> not quite yet yeah um so to me i think that was that was exciting but, uh, to where they're going yeah and and the other thing about the european market so it's it's seen like a strong growth year over year 38 percent um growth in may compared to the year before 48 44 percent year over year for the year to date uh, but the other interesting thing about that market is just collapse of diesel sales. They've been just going down, 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 and they're down 16% year over year. So Jose Pontes, who write, writes these reports for us, um, he, he uh, you know, just highlighted that more and more of these kind of what you would see as like uh, corporate cars uh, seem to be shifting to plug-in hybrids instead of diesels. So we've got a lot of Mercedes and BMW plug-in hybrids on offer in this corporate class that seem to be sort of, you know, people are like moving away from diesels to plug-in hybrids to make sure that, you know, your car can go into city centers and, and maybe just out of, you know, notice that these, this is better technology and um, more attractive uh, in various ways for, for health, environments, and also uh, just uh, for the user, for, for the user experience. Um, but it's it's good that we're, we're seeing this strong growth year over year. And the other thing is the, the LEAF is produced in the UK as well. And they have had a ton of orders. I think it was 40,000 pre-orders for the, for the new LEAF. So in the, in the Europe, I think. Uh, and they just have had a ton of these new LEAFs going to market after market as they're able to produce them. But you see just with every, ever actually over the years editing these reports, every, every year, every like year, there's a step change in the battery capacity of the Leaf, the i3, the Zoe. And every time that happens, there's like significant boost in sales. So every time they, they, they go up, you see like dramatic increase in the market. And we're seeing that now. I'm sure we'll see it next year again when the Leaf gets better and the i3 gets better and of course next year presumably the model 3 
will finally be going to, to Europe, you know, we, we think. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's definitely worth noting. I mean, the, the Leaf specifically, the sales were up 90% year over year. Um, and that's, I think, a testament to just more consumers not only being aware of electric vehicles, but uh, kind of finding the vehicle hits their, their sweet spot of range now. Uh, especially in Europe where, where cities and people's lives are much more uh, city-centric uh, with uh, lower commutes. I think in the, in the States, we're used to folks with much longer commutes. People commuting 100 miles in a day or more is not uncommon. It's definitely not the norm, um, especially statistically where the average commute is um, closer to the 30-mile range. Uh, but I think that new Nissan Leaf just gives people that extra comfort when, where they're not as familiar with what their daily commute actually even looks like. Um, and, and just gives them that extra peace of mind where they can uh, buy the car and know that it will meet their needs. Um, and, and probably even above that, give them that emotional and mental buffer to know that it'll do um, everything they need it to do. Um, the e-golf was also up around the same percent. So it was 87% uh, increase year over year, which is really exciting. Uh, so I, I think we are still at the very early part of that um, S-curve of adoption, but it definitely feels like these numbers speak to uh, the market's moving into the, the early majority and kind of out of those early adopters, out of that early phase of uh, electric vehicles where people are still exploring the technology and it's the folks who are willing to take a risk um, into the market where people know that electric vehicles work like like you were saying, Zach, and uh, and we've got all these other external, in, I guess, uh, reasons for, for people to go electric. So. And Nick's back. Do you want to dive into... Um, your take on electric vehicles in Europe and the, uh, the recent sales report that we, we had on that? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to before my, uh, my, melt, my computer <laughs> meltdown here. I was going to say, actually, I was listening to what Zachary was saying, and it's true that every time I go to France specifically, I'm always amazed to see how many uh, BMW i3 I see, and, and, and a lot of them driving in the streets, and then, you know, the Renault, um, Zoe, and then very lastly, the, the, the Leaf, so on and so forth. So I'm always amazed at the i3's uh, success in uh, in France, at least, and all over Europe. But uh, no, it's it's exciting to see that. I mean, Europe is such a it, it's an amazing given for EVs in general. It's short enough; the distances are short enough. Their their electricity system is already pretty much. You know, they're 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 a leg up on on us, at least here in the U.S. It's just it's wonderful seeing numbers like that, and it's uh, and also to see also what's coming out of the uh, woodwork with all those companies uh, in Europe. And please bring them over here quickly too, so then we can all start to play and have fun. Yeah, the European market seems to get priority when BMW or, or someone is is sort of low on batteries and whatnot. So they seem to, you know, the availability can get limited elsewhere, and they they still get prioritize those markets. But yeah, the I mean the the car is really brilliant for for European driving. I think it should be a much bigger hit than it is. Uh, but I guess it's part, partly the you know the, the look. It's not the same as the, the old BMW style, and I think people who people maybe in Europe have a harder time uh, adapting to that. But the car is still so competitive, and it's like it's so good for those city streets. It's like perf, you know, ideal. As much as I love it in Florida. You know, it's, it's actually, you should talk about, you're right, it's true. The white elephant in the room is the aesthetics is what it is. And it was the same thing with the Nissan Leaf, but you always saw that some people really are attracted to that kind of thing. Actually, I interviewed the, uh, the head designer for the iDrive team, uh, or yeah, it is the iDrive team at BMW, uh, Benoit Jacobs. And it was really interesting because 
this was so revolutionary. Now think about BMW, you know, it's pretty much mainstream. It follows what it follows. It does what it does well. And it's, and it's, you know, the ultimate driving machine. So I was talking to this, uh, to uh, Benoit and I was asking him, this is so radically different from all of this. And he goes, well, yeah, of course. And he really disdainfully looked at it and go, this is yesterday. And I said, are you, are you okay going, going live with that? I mean, you're on record. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. This is the future. And I said, what specifically is the future? He goes, lightweight, uh, carbon, and, and, and of course, different technologies. But he said also the treatment of the uh, aerodynamics, the whole rethinking of the car. And he really looked at it and he said, now look at these cars. Well, they're sedans. End of discussion. And, and, and you know, the XUV, the, the, well, the XUVs, I guess that's a good point. XUVs, that variations that you can do on these sedans. So it was very interesting. And, and if you actually, if you look at that i3, some color combinations are actually perfect for it. So anyway, I just wanted to add that in because I thought it was so interesting. The letdown, I think, for some people is also that, well, the progression has been fairly slow, at least with the i3, you know, we'd expect an i3 plus five or something like that by now. Yeah, I definitely think uh, that's something that we've been looking for is, I think what we're seeing is that a lot of the early adopters, uh, specifically BMW, Nissan, uh, Tesla is obviously the exception with their bullish charge forward into the future, but uh, they feel like they almost got burned by their early move uh, into electrics because they didn't see the sales ramp they were maybe expecting, hopefully hoping for um, at that point. Uh, but I think now we're, we're seeing kind of that resurgence where, where Gen 2 of these vehicles, the i3, um, the i3 range extender that Zach has, the new Nissan Leaf, um, people are ready for them. They're, they're eager to take up uh, that, that charge for a variety of reasons. Um, I think especially with the Model 3, and that's not just because it's a, an American car from California, but I think it really has pushed the envelope both in terms of price, in terms of range, and then this one will resonate with you, Nicholas, but the, the user interface of the vehicle, it's just so intuitive to use. It, it's better designed. Um, just from, from a car standpoint, regardless of being electric or not, it is a, a superior car. And so I think because of that, people are, are more eager uh, to move into an electric vehicle and they're, they're willing to take that risk and that jump. The mute button. But you know, that actually says it really well. Tesla is the only car company and I'm really saying it like this because it, it is much more than that obviously that was able to offer a really rational package look the sedan is gorgeous it handles like a dream it really does sit four plus you know in seven in the case of the of the the vs and well so far who else has done that oh talks yes we've got plenty of those prp oh boy we've got plenty of those guys and by 2022 Wow, we'll all have you know affordable Model S's looking sedans, but with the reality of it right now today, out the door, yeah, Tesla is the only one who has done it. And that's something that definitely gets under the skin of a few companies. I can definitely understand that one. Yeah, so I think we can jump into our, our next story of the day, which is uh, also another European car company. We just had a, a release about, or an article about uh, Volkswagen really diving deep and doubling down on uh, solid state batteries. So uh, QuantumScape's a company, company we've covered in the past. I think back in 2015, Tina did a write-up on it. Uh, and VW has just announced a $100 million investment in, uh, in QuantumScape. Uh, that speaks to, I think, VW kind of turning, rounding the corner or trying to round the corner from uh, the whole Dieselgate scandal, um, trying to move past that into electric like it's, uh, it's promised it would. Um, I don't think $100 million is going to revolutionize the battery company. Uh, we've seen that Tesla, I think, has 
It initially estimated they would spend $5 billion with a B on, on its Gigafactory in Nevada. Uh, but I think that's already up to, to at least 10 million, both by, uh, as a function of the increase in density that it's achieved or um, is working to achieve uh, because it's not complete yet. Uh, but also because they're, uh, they're really trying to roll everything into a single factory. So it will become a gigafactory that builds not only uh, the batteries, which was kind of the initial scope, so the battery cell rolling up into a module, rolling up into a pack, which is what you see for the whole vehicle kind of skateboard. Uh, but now they're planning to produce uh, full vehicles from gigafactories moving forward. That, that will likely be beyond Gigafactory 1 in Nevada um, and possibly even beyond Gigafactory 2 in uh, upstate New York where they're making their, their solar products. Uh, but this investment from uh, VW Speaks, I think, to their, uh, their bullishness on electric vehicles, um, driven by perhaps the sales they're seeing in, uh, in Europe with their uh, e-golf. Yeah, and the uh, the new e-golf is a great improvement, by the way. I, I, I really like what's happening here because it really looks like no matter how we look at it, Theoretically, we should really achieve solid state battery within, within hopefully within five years, at least on the commercial um, aspect. And, uh, and of course, the segue into the next story, which is also, you know, it, it's part of all this, this, this mass uh, investments in, uh, in battery technology, self-healing batteries, of course, because batteries degrade. Anybody who has an EV has heard of this. The more you charge, the more often you charge and cell phones and so on and so forth. So I'm really excited to, I'm really excited to see all this. And, and like I see really like, like solid state is going more into mobility. I'm still seeing, you know, vanadium flow tanks uh, uh, for energy storage on land. And those are also wonderful mobile solutions. You can squeeze it down to something the size less of a room now. Uh, so all of these solutions are starting to take, uh, to take some serious footing now. And this is looking very good. Of course, you know, ARPA uh, uh, behind it. Uh, this is all just wonderful news. I'm not adding much to it, but I think it is. Yeah, and I think just to clarify that the self-healing isn't the one where we cut off the tail off the, uh, the lizard and it regrows. This is the self-healing where from a chemical standpoint, and a chemi at a chemistry level, uh, the battery will not deteriorate in terms of the, uh, the charge it can hold. So what we see today is, uh, I think the latest battery analysis I saw of Tesla batteries um, really had the first 18 months uh, taking the brunt of that uh, battery degradation where the range would drop uh, in the range of 8 to 10% in, in capacity. So instead of storing, say, 200 um, kilowatt hours, uh, or I guess 100 on a more practical level, kilowatt hours of energy, it would only be able to store you know, 92 uh, to 90 kilowatt hours of capacity. Um, and that obviously results in lower range. Um, and so this technology developed by Penn State, um, which uh, Steve wrote about on uh, Clean Technica, uh, really speaks to some, some impressive improvements in focus, I think, for those, those areas with colder climates, uh, because there you've kind of got the double hit of the battery uh, degradation, which is that, that hit in range just to the batteries aging. But then you also have an additional hit for um, uh, cold temperatures where you see kind of an additional 20% hit. That was something that I found to be a really significant factor on my uh, Model S road trip, man, almost two years ago now, which feels like an eternity ago, but at the same time, just yesterday, uh, where I was driving from uh, Ohio back to California. And in those cold sections, just because it was cold out, not even with, that, with the heat running or any of that, uh, just to operate the vehicle, you get much less range in cold climates and the charging is much slower. So this technology um, has a lot of potential and, and a lot of relevance to, to electric vehicles in those cold climates where it's kind of that double hit or even triple hit where you have to run the heat. So definitely yeah. worth noting. 
the thing I keep thinking about batteries is, you know, there's a lot of promise for a solid state, and I'm sure there's going to be improvements every year, chemistry-wise, technology-wise, and I assume sooner or later we get to solid state. But I, I just keep feeling like it's similar to the the solar story where there was, you know, crystalline solar and there were all these competitors popping up that were going to be better and cheaper. But just the, the scale of production kept getting so much, so big with crystalline, multi-crystalline solar that the cost kept coming down faster and faster than anyone predict, predicted. And I think we're hitting that same phase with batteries where the, lith- the simple, whatever, lithium-ion battery that Tesla, you know, the, 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 that BYD that produces, the more they ramp up that production scale, the more it's like the costs are going to keep coming down and keep making it harder and harder for new technology to break in. So either way, it's a win. But um, I'm, cur- I'm, I'm a little bit like, uh, I, I just feel like the, the, the lithium-ion battery of today with tweaks here and there every month or every year or whatever, uh, is going to be pretty strong for the next decade. And then maybe after that, we will get some uh, some breakthroughs that start to, to influence the market. But either way, it's awesome. There's got to be so much money going into batteries now that, um, and everybody's been saying for years that solid state is the eventual where we're going. But uh, yeah, we might be pushed off further if, if battery costs keep coming down. No, you know, I think you're right. Um, lithium ion uh, is going to be like the, the definitely the battery of choice for the next 10, maybe even 30 years. I, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. But ultra caps have been developing ultra caps, ultra capacitors or anything solid state has a place. It's already been used. And, and you know, they're sort of bridging really the, the both batteries and ultra capacitors these days. They have hybrid systems. So I, I, I do see them maybe maybe slipping in on like performance versions of of some cars, maybe Remex Nex uh, Ultra Super Concept X might yeah. have something like that. I mean, it, it would make sense, or 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 some sort of you know, the, actually maybe a, a flow flow cell system. Who knows? I mean, th- those things could uh, could easily happen, and and they are actually working these days anyway on prototypes. So, but yeah, definitely lithium ion has a long way to go. I think any anybody has an, any investments in that, you're you're fine for the next ten years, if not more. <laughs> Yeah, I love what we're seeing with lithium ion as well. And that's definitely worth noting. I mean, I think specifically the cobalt component as well, like we're already seeing just as an example, Tesla is really trying to drive their cobalt usage down. Uh, Cobalt is kind of one of those conflict minerals where uh, the majority of it, I think 58, 60% comes from uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And um, that presents a major problem. It's a major single point of failure, if you will, in it from an unstable country. Um, and, um, uh, it's, it's just not a good chemical. It's toxic. Um, it's not something we want to be producing, handling, or having out on roads. I mean, we don't have a lot of Tesla fires. We don't need to get into why electric cars are actually safer and at a much, much, much lower risk of fires than gasoline vehicles. But, uh, we don't want any of those chemicals leached out into the environment. We just don't need it. We've got technology to, to do better than that. And we're seeing, uh, co- companies, uh, both on the battery side and the EV side, uh, actively moving away from cobalt-based chemistries towards um, chemistries that are more uh, stable for the environment and uh, more sustainable. So that's, that's definitely yeah, more more earth-friendly. Which, by the way, is not the whole point of uh, of electric mobility is to once again kind of let's work with the environment instead of against it, and uh, that would be the whole point. Well, I think that's, uh, it sounds like that's about it for today. Of course, there, 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 there's much more news. If you go on cleantechnica.com, you can read 
Uh, actually, as, as we've been talking, there are new stories that just came out. But, um, and I think we might have even lost Zachary, but uh, I think he's also <laughs> sweltering under, what is it, 100 Fahrenheit? For, for those of you in, in Celsius, what is that, about close to 40 degrees? <laughs> Humidity level is 90% plus. Let me tell you, you bend your arm, you open it up again, and it's sweaty. It's wow, a wonderful environment. So, um, Kyle, I don't know, would, anything else to add to this? No, I think it was just another day with uh, a great set of news to cover and uh, some great experts to talk it with. So really appreciate the time with you, Nick. And uh, thanks to everybody else for tuning in to Clean Tech Talks, episode nine. Oh my, yes, you're right. Absolutely, already nine. And, uh, and of course, uh, we're, we're sure Zach is okay. And we'll see you guys tomorrow again. Same bad time, most likely not. But definitely same bad channel and same bad subject, that's for sure. I'm Nick Lazard signing off for Clean Technica with uh, Kyle Field and uh, Zachary Shehan, who is no longer with us here. I mean, he's <laughs> here, right? Well, wrong thing to say. He just, he's at home now. Bye. See you guys. <laughs>